Okay, good morning, everybody. I don't know what's going to happen with my cordless mic this morning. I, I was told to beware, so let's hope this works out. By the way, you know, uh, uh, a few months ago, uh, like on a Sunday night, there was just an incredible snowstorm. So I came and with a whole bunch of gold stars and personally handed out one and stuck them on everyone's forehead that was here. And I just think you guys, this spring forward thing, uh, I think I, if I had, uh, you know, 150 stars or whatever, I would be going, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm really proud of you. Uh, kind of like the people who showed up at the pa- uh, Sunday night, the Patriots game uh, the other night. But uh, anyway, so maybe a little bleary-eyed. But why don't you get up uh, now, stand, rise for the reading of God's Word. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Anyone need a Bible? If you do, raise your hand. Raise your hand, anyone? Need a Bible? Second Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, this is Paul, this is verse 1, Paul speaking by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscious conscience into the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would bless your word this morning. Lord, we come here to change. I just pray even as we open up our heart, Lord, and we expose it to your word, and even as we behold your face, Lord Jesus, Lord, that we would be ever transformed into your image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please be seated. So going through 2 Corinthians chapter by chapter, verse by verse, verse 1 starts off, this is Paul, it says, therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry is he talking about here? He's talking about the ministry of grace. What is grace? It's something that you don't deserve and you cannot earn. So Paul, speaking about his ministry, what's his ministry? It's declaring for all to hear that salvation an everlasting relationship with God could not be earned or deserved, but it was free. It's available through faith in Christ. So again, verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Some translations say there, uh, we faint not. Other translations say, we don't become utterly spiritless. Other translations just, another translation could be, we just don't give up. So why is he, you know, why does he say we don't give up or we don't, we faint not or we don't lose heart? It says because we have received uh, mercy. We don't become utterly spiritless. Now, this is a good uh, introduction to this uh, chapter because a good portion of this chapter is about not giving up. Not giving up. We didn't read it this morning, but consider verses 8 and 9, actually, through 11. We are hard-pressed. This is Paul speaking. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. And so, you know, and there, there's this whole area of not giving up. And again, that's a major theme of this, this chapter. The world has all kinds of slogans, doesn't, doesn't it, about not giving up. Don't give up. Never give up. But the problem with slogans is that they're slogans and nothing more, right? I mean, they don't offer anything. They don't offer you anything to live out the slogan. You know, just do it. Okay, how? You know, don't give up. Why? Why should I not give up? You know, the whole sort of positive thinking thing that the world offers is just it's all in the slogan thing you know it's it, it's it's just empty it's shallow it's powerless but here paul is in this chapter paul's giving us so much uh, more than that he in fact he's saying more than just don't give up he's saying really there's no need to give up and that's what he's saying and again, that's what he means there uh, in verse uh, 10 and 11. He says, always carrying in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also be made manifested in, in our body. And so uh, the, the, the life of, of Jesus in us, that's how we're going to be able to, uh, that's, that's how we can live up this not giving up thing. I love the way that Paul actually ends this entire letter. You don't have to turn there, but uh, chapter 13, verse 5, he says, Corinthians, do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you? Calvary Chapel in the city, do you not know? Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul declares to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, a spirit of what's giving up all about. It's, it's often, it's, usually it's about fear. But he's given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, power uh, by and through Christ who lives in us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul calls, it, calls this power Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not some new age thing. It's not a force. It's not an it. Christ in you. The hope of glory. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 says, we, we don't lose heart. We faint not. We don't become utterly spiritless. We don't give up because of Christ in us. And so... I don't know, maybe you've walked in here this morning and, and you're in that place today. Satan has bound you up in discouragement. You want to give up your walk with the Lord or whatever it else is that the Lord has you in. And there's a hundred good reasons you can think of for just throwing in the towel. They're good reasons. They just make so much sense. You know something? When it comes down to it, there's only one reason not to give up. There's only one reason that you don't have to give up. It's Christ in you. The hope of glory. I love Micah chapter 7, verse 8. If you're taking notes, write this one down. Micah 7, 8. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. That word light, it's a, it's a major player also uh, in this chapter. 
and so giving up and light, and they're, they're all going to be sort of connected, you'll see, as we, as we study uh, through uh, it. And uh, in fact, really, the next verse, it's the same kind of theme. Paul says, and we, do, we have renounced the hidden things of shame. So he says again in verse 1, since we have this ministry, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame. The Greek word for hidden there, kuptus, it means secret, means concealed. It, uh, you could say shrouded in darkness. And uh, uh, when a person is, is saved, when a person is uh, saved by Jesus Christ, the Bible says that uh, uh, they're literally brought out of darkness, literally. Into the light. When Jesus spoke to the Apostle Paul, who's writing to us this morning, and he described to him the ministry that he was going to put him in, he told Paul, he said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes. That's what happens when someone is saved. We'll see that later too. To open their eyes in order that they will turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. But now listen, when we are taken from that place of darkness to the light, many of those things that hounded us when we were in the darkness, they're going to want to come along. They'll want to latch on to you. They're going to want to be a part of your light your life that is now characterized by light, they're very much going to be, going to want to be um, a part of that. And so that's what Paul calls here hidden things of shame. Those are things that we, that want to keep on hanging out. And we allow them, only we hide them. We're in the light now, so they need to be hidden. So we hide them. Paul calls them here the hidden things of shame in verse 2. Listen, don't fall into the trap of doing anything else but renouncing them. Have you ever had a friend whose house you've visited many, many times? I know, over the period of years, you've been there a hundred times. You've been to their house. But, you know, when you usually go to their house, it's always usually in the same place. In fact, you really only know one part of their house, even though you've been there, I don't know, a hundred times. You hang out in the living room or the kitchen. And you've been there doing this for a couple of years. And after a couple of years, you know, for whatever reason, you're sent to a different part of the house. I don't know. You, your friend sends you to a bedroom upstairs. And you, so you go up there and you go, wow, I've never been around here. And you go to a back bedroom. And you go in, inside the bedroom. And then and all of a sudden you see something you've never seen before in this bedroom. I don't know. A hamster. You know, running like crazy. <laughs> You know, you're, you all walk into this room, and it's like, whoa. And you're like, wow, I never knew he was into this. I, I never knew he liked hamsters. I mean, I, I feel like I know this guy like my own brother or something, and, and, and he's, he's into these wild, crazy hamster things. You know, you learn this for the first time. Well, you know, that's what it's like sometimes with the hidden things of shame that we latch on to and we allow to stick around even after we've come into the light. The problem is, unlike hamsters, you feed sin and that thing will continue to grow. You know, you can only feed a hamster so much. And you feed them and feed them. They may grow all fat, but one day they're just going to kill over it and die, you know. Uh, it's not like that way with sin. Sin doubles, quadruples, and pretty soon, you know, you're, you're hanging around in, in the living room or whatever and with your friends. They've never been to other parts of your house. All of a sudden, it's like this loud thumping sound on the wall. Real loud. Sounds like an elephant. 
And they're like, whoa, what's up with that? And oh, no, it's nothing. What do you mean it's nothing? There's just loud thumping. Oh, it's my hamster, really. <laughs> the problem is you can't hide sin. And that, that 800-pound hamster is going to come crashing right through the wall. And guess what? It's going to devour everything in its path. You know, that's, that's, what, that's what sin does. You can keep a hamster even running like mad, you know, in some room way on the other side of your house. You can't do that from sin. Your sin will find you out. It winds up devouring really everyone around, those you love, everyone around you in, in your life. And, and so that's why Paul says we need to renounce the hidden things of shame. I heard Greg praying this morning out of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Christ in you. The hope of glory. So let's continue. It says again, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, is is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So, verse 4 there speaks of the God of this age. The God of this age. Who's the God of this age? Well, it's referring to none other than Satan. The Bible teaches that Satan blinds people who have chosen to set their hearts against God. He blinds them. Verse uh, 3 actually calls this a veil. A veil that someone puts over woman in the Middle East puts over their, her face. That's a veil. It says that it, it, a veil goes over their hearts of those who are perishing. You know, from time to time, I'll witness a situation where someone is making choices that can be explained in no other way other than that they've been blinded. I remember someone very, very close to me. They were happily married, had a wonderful wife, wonderful children, economically stable. They had it all. But I don't know, like happens so often now in this country, this person got into his mid-50s, and it's like things started getting a little boring or something. So he made a decision just to leave his family, his wife, and go after another woman. And everyone around him pleaded with him. What, are you out of your mind? You're happy? You have a wife that loves you. You even love your wife. You have this, you're going into your golden years and, 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 and you have all these things that people, 90% of the world dreams about. You're just going to trash them? Everything you're doing defies common sense. It defies logic. Why on earth would you do this? It's the most bizarre thing. It was like speaking to someone with a veil over his face. He had a, th- this elaborate scheme about every, every, how everything was going to be okay and uh, everything was going to work out, and he went for it. You know, he was okay for a few years, but God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows or a woman sows, he, she will reap. And within a few years, everything caved in. About 11 years ago, still the same. 
And I look back at that situation, and in ministry, really, I see this on a regular basis. I'll be talking with someone about some decision they're making, and I'll be like, you are kidding, right? You must be kidding. I mean, you have everything in front of you, and what you're choosing, you know is going to trash your life. It's like speaking with someone with a veil over their eyes. The Bible says that Satan blinds people. There's no other explanation for some of the decisions that you see people make which utterly defy logic. The Bible also says, and we just read it in verse 4, that Satan does the same time, same thing with the good news of the gospel, that you can be saved, that while the penalty of sin is death, that the gift of God is eternal life and it's free through Jesus Christ. It's free. can't be earned. can't be deserved. And how many times have you been talking with someone and, and, and maybe they've trashed their life. They've never known the Lord. And, and you're like, I know what this person needs. I know it, I know it, I know it. And you tell them. You tell them about Jesus. And they're looking at you. And it's like they're looking right through you. And it's like, what, what's up, dude? And you, you want to like shake them. Whoa, wake up. They've been blinded. So the, the Bible does say that Satan blinds people who have set their hearts on rejecting the Lord. So let's continue. Verse 5, it says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. The word bondservant there is the Greek, Greek word doulos. It's a word that's used many, many times in the New Testament, something like 137 times. It means bond slave or slave. Uh, or actually, actually what it really means that sort of the technical definition of the word is someone who by his own free will has decided to enter into slavery. And you see this in, in the Old Testament, uh, Testament in Exodus, chapter uh, 21, verse 6. You can actually see the description here. A slave who uh, comes to the point in his life where he's, he's required by law to be freed. Every seven years, remember, in Israel, every, you know, people who would put themselves into slavery... Or, or found themselves in slavery, were freed no matter what. But every once in a while, there was a slave who had a wonderful master. And, you know, it was a very harsh life 3,500 years ago. And many of them would decide, because of the goodness of their master, to choose to stay and be a slave. That's what this word is, bondservant, someone who freely chooses to stay as a sort of a, a permanent servant, uh, ser, uh, servant. And here says so much about uh, the attitude, the motive that we should have as, as servants of the Lord. It says, Paul describes himself that he is a, he's your bondservant. Speaking of the Corinthians. So a pastor or anyone who's serving the Lord in a church, they're not there to, Develop a following, a name, a reputation. That there is a bondservant, someone who has freely chosen, because of what the Lord is doing in their life, to, to, to serve. Not serve with sort of limitations on it, or con with conditions on it. Serve unconditionally. It's a wonderful description there. He says, ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Verse 5. So then we go on in verse 6. We'll uh, spend the remainder of the time in this verse. It's, Paul says, by the Holy Spirit, for it is the God, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So again, it starts off, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. That's a reference to Genesis, 
chapter 1, verse 3, actually, where God says, let there be light. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. Verse 2, verse two says what? It says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Verse 3 said, the Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. And so here again, it says, uh, it says in verse 4 here, or 6 here, it says, God commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts. Who has shone in our hearts. So listen up here. This is, this is what happens literally when a man or woman is saved. When a man is, or woman is born again, when you put your faith in Christ, in Jesus, for your salvation, he has shown, he has imparted, he has infused his light into you. Now, the whole New Age thing is sort of stolen from this and come up with this universal kind of theology where everyone sort of has a light within. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that prior to Christ, we're, we're dark. We're born with a darkened heart, prone to be at war with God, prone to disobey Him, prone to self, with self on the throne. But the Bible says that when a person is given new life in Christ, it says, as we just read in verse 6, the light of God shines in them. So all this light in you kind of stuff you've been hearing about. This is where it comes from. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But this is the real deal. This is when a person decides to repent. They decide to, they come to a place in their life where they realize they need a savior. That sort of the behavior of their life, the, the idol of their life, everything that they've been living for has been all about them. They've lived a life in opposition to God. And they turn to Christ and for free, Jesus shines that light into their heart. Now Jesus says, everyone's familiar with this verse, right? John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. But you know, he also says in Matthew 5.14, he says, you are the light of the world. By the way, he doesn't say you should be the light of the world. He says you are the light of the world. And so what's that about? Is he getting things mixed up or, 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 or what? I mean, who's the light of the world? Is Jesus the light of the world or we're the light of the world? Well, it, it, it's, you see right here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 what, that it's both. Jesus is the light of the world, but he imparts the light to you. you are, once you're given the light, you are the light. Okay, so let's just finish out this verse. This is a hard, the rest of this, the first part of this verse was easy. The second is hard. So let's go for it. Starting again from the beginning, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow, that is a mouthful. What does that mean? It says, who shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Ah, okay. What's this about? Well, let me tell you. Here's what it's about. Listen, here's what it means. Even as God has shown his light, has infused his light, in us, and we reflect, we reflect the glory, the light of God as we look into the face of Jesus Christ. Now, does, does that sound familiar to anyone? Sound familiar? How about the last verse we were in last week? Chapter 3, verse 18. Let's read it says virtually the same thing in a different way. And you see the Apostle Paul doing this quite a bit. It says, But we, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Saying the same thing. It says, again, 
but we, verse 18, with unveiled face, meaning the darkness, we've been removed from darkness, and we're, we now have been given the light, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. In other words, we're looking in a mirror, and what he's saying is that we're, we're looking at Christ, the face of Christ, and it says, and, and we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So when we, here, here's what, uh, again, verse 6 means. It, it, it's just a, verse 18 of chapter 3 it's just turned around in a different way when you're born again you are the light of the world as as you keep your eyes on Jesus meaning as as you get to know him as you get to know him more and more as you read his word as you spend time in devotion with him as you pray as you come to church as you hang out in home fellowships as you're with the people of God and you're getting introduced as to what the, Jesus looks like, it says you are being transformed into his image and you reflect his light. And so, and so that's where uh, uh, verse 6 is going there. Uh, he, you know, it says, but here's the deal. He said, you can be the light of the world, but sometimes you and I... We're light of the world because Jesus doesn't, again, he doesn't say we should be the light of the world. He says you are the light of the world. The problem is we are the light of the world sometimes, but we're not a light to the world. So hear me now. You can be the light of the world. You are the light because the light has been imparted to you. It's been imparted in your heart. But you can live in such a way that you're not a light to the world. Again, it doesn't stop you from being a light of the world because you have the light, but you're not being a light uh, to the uh, to the world, and he, and the way to be a light, to, not only a light uh, of the world, but a light to the world, is as you continue to behold the face of Jesus. But what's the problem? So oftentimes our light fades away. It starts getting faded. We start shriveling up like prunes or whatever. And the, and, the, and the light starts fading away. Now, if we go back into chapter 3 once more and we read verses 12 and 13, it talks about a light there that, that was fading away. It was passing away. It says in verse 12, it says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away or what was fading away. Now, what is that about? We discussed this just briefly uh, last week, but um, that is referring to, Paul is referring back to Exodus chapter tw- uh, 34. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, he got the Ten Commandments, and remember the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone. And he, in, in Exodus 34, he, he got up and he, he went and got them and came back and it said that his face glowed. Now, the first time, remember, he had gone up to Mount Sinai twice. The first time he went up there, he got the uh, tablet of stone, the Ten Commandments. He came back. The Israelites were, he found them dancing around a golden calf. that they had just built, that they had formed out of their own jewelry. And he wasn't glowing. He was glaring. And he took that tablet and he smashed it on the ground. But the second time he came down, it said he was glowing. And it says that after he finished speaking, it says he put a veil over his face. And we learn from this verse in chapter 3 Verse 13, that the reason he did that is because the glory was fading away. Why was the glory fading away? It was the law. We, and we talked a lot about this last week. The law. It's a, glory, it's a glorious ministry, the law. It points us to God. It convicts us. It teaches us about God. The problem is we never follow it. The problem is we're, we're lawbreakers. We're addicted to lawbreaking. And so that glory is fading away. 
And so that's, what it, that's why in verse uh, uh, 13 and 14, uh, 13 there in chapter 3, it talks about Moses put that veil over his face. He didn't want, to see, he didn't want the people to see that, that that glory, the glow that he had, was fading away. But there's, an, but there's another glow that doesn't fade away. You know, in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, it says in chapter 20 on the mountain, and he glowed. He, he told the Israelites he wanted to uh, build a tabernacle, and they, they needed uh, money for it. And, and, and remember what happened? Is, it's the first time in the history of any church, any ministry, they had to say, stop, you're giving too much. That's what a glow can do. That's what your light can do. And, 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 and so, you know, which is it going to be for you this week? Because let me tell you, uh, this week, I would estimate that you're going to have about 10, 12 golden calf situations where you, that are going to be thrown, golden calves thrown in front of you, and, and you weren't expecting these golden calves. You, you, weren't, you didn't plan out your week. Well, you know, on Tuesday morning at 6.45 a.m., I'm just going to go, right, I'm going to have a golden calf come right in front of me, this situation that I, I absolutely hate and detest. I'm going I'm to look forward to that at that time. No, that's not how life works. You know, we go out every week and at least once a day. There's some situation we didn't plan for. It's in front of us. And what do we do? We glare. <laughs> Pretty ugly scene after Moses glared, huh? We don't have to, we don't have to go over that right now. But, but, um, that, and, and, so, and, and that's what we do. I mean, you know, even in the little things. I mean, Stephanie and I, every time we come into our living room. I mean, we go up for a nap, you know, upstairs and, you know, our living room, immaculate, there's everything's in place. You know, once in a while it is like this, all the books and everything else. We come down, it's like a bomb hit it, a golden caps in our living room. How? Our kids let off a bomb in the living room. I, I can't believe, you know, how many bombs must be stashed in my house. It, it's what my living room looks like, you know, so often. But, but you know, it's, am I going to glow when I see it or am I, am I going to glare? Let me tell you, if all my kids see is a glare, if all my kids see is a glare, they will run from this faith that I have. They'll run from it. If all people see from your life is a glare when you come into every situation that you just don't like, they're not going to be interested in it. Praise God for, again, same verse, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Through his divine power, he has given everything we need for life and godliness. Who is it? Christ in you. The hope of glory. So go out this week and behold the face of Jesus. Behold the face of Jesus. So that everyone understand it? Let's just close with it. Verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this hope, this expectation. This promise, God, that your light does not fade away. And Lord, we just confess and agree as a body of believers that there's only one reason why we fade. Lord, we confess we let the world, the shadow of the world, get in the way. Father, we thank you for your grace, which says that no matter how much we've let the world in the way, in a moment of time, even as we ask for forgiveness, we can go right back to the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. And that's where we are this morning, Lord, in a time of need for grace and mercy. Please, Lord, we ask you for your grace. We ask you for your mercy most of all, Lord to keep our eyes fixed on you, on your face, in the word, in prayer and devotion with the body of Christ, 
Lord, we don't want to glare. We want to glow. We want our life to, to mean something. We don't want to get to the on our deathbed, Lord, and realize we've been glaring our whole life. Father, we want to glow. We thank you that, we have, that Lord Jesus, that your light it does not fade away, Lord, and we praise you for that. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who has come in here this morning. Lord, in that place where they're close to losing heart, Father God, we thank you that you've opened up your word this morning to them, that they have Christ in them, the hope of glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, please rise. We're going to close with a worship song. The song we're going to sing is um, Mighty to Save. And I just wanted to read the, um, the bridge. It's, we're going to be singing Shine Your Light and let the, the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King, Jesus. So just along with the message there. And everyone needs compassion. Love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness. The kindness of a Savior.
bless you as you're dismissed. And uh, if you need prayer, you're welcome to come up. There'll be uh, two people in the front to pray with you. verse 23 it says of heaven there is no need of the sun or the moon to shine because the lamb of God is the light the lamb of God is the light when we behold Jesus Christ again we're in his word we're in church we're getting to know God more and more There is no need for our glow to ever fade away. And that's why we read in the previous chapter that though the ministry of the law was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry of Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law for us? And and, and so as we behold him... We can reflect his light. And we need not, we need not sort of fade away in our glowing. You know, we live in a dark world. I was yesterday when I was, um, I knew Mark was going to be speaking about the woman's concern this morning. And I, I just, every week, some new article comes out about what someone did to their baby and how they killed it. We're not talking now about abortion. We're talking about afterbirth. <laughs> but, and so I printed a few things off, but I, I, it was just too much. I said, I just can't subject, I can't subject the people to this this morning. It's just, they won't be able to think of anything else. I'd, much, I'd, I'd prefer tomorrow to, just for us to behold the a face of, of Jesus rather than just get too far deep into the darkness. But we do. We live in a dark world. But let me tell you, if you are beholding the face of Jesus, the world will see light. The world around you will see light. They'll see a glow. And guess what? Glows attract people. Light attracts people. All we are at the end of the day, right, is, you know, before Christ is a bunch of moths, right? Well, moths love the light. Sometimes I hear Christians say, and sometimes I hear my own self whining like this, well, you know, my zeal, my life with God, my power, whatever, it's just not what it used to be. I used to be so fired up with God. You should have seen all the things I used to do for Jesus. Wow, you know. Does that describe the cry of your heart this morning? Well, if it does, let me encourage you. It doesn't have to be so. Jesus' light, Jesus' glow, Jesus' glory doesn't fade away. They don't even know. It says no sun or moon is needed in heaven. It's always been like that with him before the foundation of the earth. So a few weeks ago, there was a lunar eclipse. Anyone see it? How many people saw the lunar eclipse? All right. So what is a lunar eclipse? Actually, we were up in Vermont, our family, and I saw one for the first time, you know? Get to be 44 years old, you think you've seen everything? No, that is not the case. Saw a lunar eclipse for the first time. And I, so I read up on, you know, what an, a, a, you know, a lunar eclipse is. What is it? Well, it's when the shadow of the earth gets in between the earth and the sun. Oh, I was just testing you. (laughs) It's when the shadow of the earth gets in between the sun and the moon. That's right. Is that right? That's right. It's when the shadow of the earth gets in between the sun and the moon. And, I mean, you look at this thing, and I don't know about you guys. I thought it looked kind of creepy. I mean, a vampire movie or something? This weird-looking moon? (laughs) 
And, you know, I, I, as, I'm, and as I'm sure most of you know, the moon doesn't give off light, does it? The moon does not emit light. There's nothing about the moon itself that causes it to emit light. It reflects the light from the sun. But if the world gets in the way, the shine is gone. You can still look at it. It's kind of creepy, but no light. Well, you know something? When the world or the shadow of the world gets in between you and the Lord, no offense, you look kind of creepy. <laughs> and I just speak from experience because I, I, I look in a mirror when the world gets in between me and the Lord, and I look pretty creepy, more, I'm sure more creepy than you, but uh, really creepy to my wife. But, uh, but anyway, it's, 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 it's like that. And, and, and so if your light, your glow is fading, guess what? It means the world is getting in the way, the shadow of the world, your, your, our jobs trying to you know, pack in 70 hours a, a week, our homes, you know, spending every waking hour on our castle, you know, trying to carve out our little kingdom. And, and, and you know, how can I make this just more of a kingdom? This is mine. I'm just going to make it just like a king, you know, and, and it'll be mine or whatever it is uh, that we do to entertain ourselves, you know, a TV, the, the Internet, you know, nonstop sports, whatever, whatever it is that self has us running after that gets in between us and beholding the face of Jesus, verse 6. The shadow of the world. It gets between us and the face of, uh, 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 of Jesus. And, you know, we don't glow. We don't. We don't glow. You know what we do? We do the same thing Moses did the first time he came down from Mount Sinai. What do you do? He glared. He smashed those, that tablet of stone. I don't know about you, but the first time, I, I, actually, I can't remember the first time I read that. It was probably pretty little. But uh, it, the first time I was sort of aware of what I'm thinking, I was, that, that's not right. That doesn't seem right. Smashing the Ten Commandments. And Moses did a similar thing about 40 years later, and he, and he suffered dire consequences, getting angry in front of the people of God. But this time, not so much so. But, but he glared when he came uh, down uh, the mountain. But uh, the second time, it says, though, he glowed. He glowed from the presence of the Lord. Do you know what happened? Really quick. Do you know what happened after the second time he came down?